I want you, as you're taking notes, if you're taking notes, if you're a note taker, usually I'm not, um, but if you're a note taker, I want you to write down on the top of your page the word that we already talked about, but since we do record these for YouTube later on, uh, I want to say the word restoration. Um, it's going to make sense as we talk about this topic. It's a very, um, it's a very touchy subject. Um, I wouldn't even say it's controversial. It's just something I think that we've all dealt with. And you can either go through what we're talking about and, and, and run away from God and be bitter the rest of your life. How, how many of us have ever met a bitter person? Don't point fingers. I see you pointing fingers at your spouse. If you only met my husband, I'll tell you what. No, we're not trying to. That's, judge, that's judging, and that's another problem. But um, we've all met bitter people. And I, I said this. I don't remember when we were talking about this, Lid, when we were talking about this the other day when I said, I want... When someone comes to in, into my life and they talk with me, I want to be like this breath of fresh air. Maybe I didn't use those terms, but I want someone walking away feeling better about themselves. I don't want to suck the joy out of them and go, man, I don't really want to be around Joel anymore because he is just this bitter you know, person that is just so mad and angry about the pain that's inside of him. Now, your pain is real. Some of it, your pain is not your fault. And But the reality is, and I've been challenged in my life as I've had pain in my life. I've had things that happened to me over the years when I was younger. And I carried it for a couple of years until some pastor had the boldness to, and the courage to say, you got to do something with that or you're never going to be who God has called you to be. And thank God that I was able to go to places around the church building that I was at and, and, and seek God by myself. And God restored me. And so that's what we're talking about is restoration. And so we've been going through this series called Doubting God. And the, for the first two weeks, we're talking about specifically when you doubt God, when you doubt the existence of God. The, this might seem shocking to you that we're even bringing it up in church. You know, we got what in the world? Why are you even talking about um, that? Because it is a reality for everyone when you are going through life and there's questions that you can't answer. And basically what we said for the first two weeks is very simple. If you have doubts, you have questions you can't answer, that is not the end of the world. That is the beginning of seeking God. And when you seek God, the Bible says you will find God. Okay, the Bible says that multiple times. When you seek God, you will find God. It's the ones that sit there and go, whatever, God, if you really want to touch my life, just, just do it. I'm just going to sit here, and I'm not going to. No, we're going to seek God with all of our heart. We're going to worship him with all of our heart, and he's going to show himself to us in powerful ways. Last week, we talked about doubting ourselves. And I, 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 I want to say this again, that there are times, even last week, afterwards, where I said, man, am I the right person that's standing up here? I have no idea. Because you might be your worst critic. Anybody your worst critic? You start, you're trying to help people along, and you're like, did I give them the right advice? Did I say the right thing? Did I make it worse? I don't know about you, but if you were, in, I wouldn't even say in the business of advice giving, but if you're, if some friend says, what do you think I should do? And you say something, you're in the car afterwards, and you go, I think I just made them worse. You, if that's you, you're not alone. And so we doubt ourselves. This week is a little bit different because there's an unfortunate truth to people who are leaving the church, capital C, and leaving the relationship with God. There's not a lot of people, there's some atheists out there, okay? 
But the reality is most people who leave their faith in God has nothing to do with Jesus Christ. They, they, they think that Jesus was a great individual. They, they, they believe that he was a great person, that we can learn from him. We can actually create a society where, uh, a country where if we do it based on God's word and the principles of Jesus, we can actually have a good society. There's people like that. But the reason why they left the church or the reason why they left their faith in God is not because of God, because it's other Christians. We're going to talk about something very touchy today. But I, want to, I believe with all my heart that, it's going to, that God's going to use it to bring restoration to all of us, relationship restoration. How many of us know when you have relationships in your life that are broken, that there's some kind of thing that's, there's, there's a huge, you're trying to get down the road of relationship, and there's a huge boulder in the way you can't get around. How many of you guys know when it comes to that, that it causes other problems in your life? When you have bitterness in your heart, I've said this so many times over the last 30 years in my walk with God. It's like cancer to your soul. It slowly eats away at you. And ultimately, over time, you'll have nothing left in your heart. You'll have nothing left in your spirit. You're broken. You're like, I have nothing to give other people. I can't love people. I can't, I can't forgive people because I'm so bitter. Now, every one of us raised our hand. We met someone that's bitter. I don't want you to raise your hand for this one, but how many of us, that person that we know that's bitter is us? Because I want to be very careful here because I don't want you to start doubting yourself and going, oh, I'm just a bad person. Listen, we've all had relationships that have been broken. We've all sought anger versus restoration. We've, we've, we wanted uh, someone, you know, do unto others before they do it to you. I've said that a lot in my life. Like, that's how a lot of people live. That's not the Bible, by the way. Do unto others as you would have them do to you. That's what Jesus said. But some of us, we don't live that way. Do unto others before they do it to you. So if that person's hurt me, I have every right, because I feel it, that I'm going to hurt them back. And if we're here and we're going, I've never done that, I think that you're not telling the truth. It could be family. It could be an old teacher. It could be a pastor. It could be a priest. It could be a deacon in the church. It could be someone that you looked up to and they, they let you down. And because of that, you said, I can't talk to that individual. I don't want to seek restoration. They can just go to hell. They could, whatever, and they're fine. They've earned it. They've deserved it. We've all had people in our lives that that's how we feel. But the thing that God really revealed to me in the last couple years, especially this last week as I'm going through this, is we need to seek restoration because some people have left their relationship with God because we've treated them poorly, because they've hurt us. We just go, nope. And they're trying to seek restoration. They're trying to get in our, in, into uh, their relationship with God. But we, when we look at them, we go, nope. We, li- we live in a small town. You ever notice that? that? The people that you have come in contact with that you don't prefer to see them anymore, you're going to see them at the grocery store. How do I know that? Because I work at the grocery store. I see people that don't like me. And I have a choice to make. Am I going to love them? Or am I going to go, I hope they don't feel good about themselves right now. I'm just going to look at them and smile. I don't do that. But my heart sometimes speaks and I'm like, that is not a good, that's not a good place to be, Joel. So we're going to seek restoration. But some people leave their relationship with God because people are full of hypocrisy. People have been hurt. Maybe you looked up to someone and they actually had a moral failure and you're like, you're so confused. If God is so good and they said, that they said Jesus is so good, how come they were a hypocrite? How come they hurt me? 
Now, I want you to think about, and not for too long, I want you to think about someone in your life that has hurt you. They've harmed you. Maybe they, they said they were Christians, but they lived like they were atheists. I read this quote from an author. His name was Brendan Manning. I don't know if anyone knows the author, Brendan Manning. I would ask you to look that guy up. He's no longer alive. He's with the Lord. But he, he, uh, he wrote my favorite book outside of the Bible, and it's called Ragamuffin Gospel. I've read that so many times I can't even count. Like I'm tempted every day to start that book back up. And there's a quote that's very, very, very hard. The book is great, but there's a quote that's very famous, and it says this, the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips, they walk out the door, and they deny him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. How many of us have ever heard that quote? If you're a younger Christian, you probably heard it in a song in the 90s. DC Talk, you know, DC Talk, it's in a song. It opens up with that quote. Well, that's Brendan Manning. Brendan Manning was a great guy, but that quote just kicks me in the gut. Like, I'm like, ow, why is that? Because people look at us and they say, well, we demand God's forgiveness and we refuse to forgive the people around us. They, they say, well, you're just a hypocrite. And the reality is, Jesus, and I read a couple of scriptures this week that really, do you realize that Jesus is loving, but he was also, there are a few times where he was not in a good mood? You ever know that? He was not in a good mood sometimes. And I want to be very clear, when he came in contact with sinners, people who were far from God, he, he went up to them and he wanted to change their lives. But he came up to church people, religious people, he had nothing good to say about them. That scares me, because I'm one of those church people. I wouldn't call myself religious, but there's people that say, oh, you're a pastor, you're a professional religious person. Okay, I get what they're saying, okay? But what does Jesus think of me? If I'm judgmental, if I'm hateful, if I refuse to extend God's mercy to people, and I demand God's mercy to me, I don't want to be like this. Where I actually acknowledge Jesus with my lips, and the moment I walk out the door, I'm going to deny him by their lifestyle. Listen, church, this is very difficult because, and I want to say it up front again, those of us who are alive, how many of us are alive? You're, you're human? You're human? Anybody perfect here? No. No. So if you're, a per, if you're human, you're going to be a hypocrite for, at some point, right? There are times where I've said, man, I'm going to be a good husband, Man, I'm going to be a good father. Man, I'm going to be a good employee. And then there are times I walk out there and go, nah, 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 I don't think so. It's a little too, you know, it's work to improve your life. If you want to do what God's calling you to do and you say, Lord, fill me up to overflowing, God's going to say, I will fill you up, but you need, you need to acknowledge that you've been wrong. I'm like, no, I don't want to acknowledge that. See, God wants to bring restoration in your life. So what we're talking about today, and if you're here and you're still here and you're feeling fine, I want you to go back in time in your mind to someone that hurts you. Boy, isn't this fun. But sometimes, I would say all the time, if you want to be healed and whole, you have to go back to those moments in your mind with God 
and he's going to bring restoration in your life. He's done that with me. He's done that with numerous people when we've had times where we talked as just as a pastor or a brother in Christ. We've gone back to the moment of that pain, and God brought restoration. So we're going to call this one, When Christians Let You Down. I want to say this right now. I want you to look around for just a moment. Look at the people around you right now. Go ahead. Don't, it's not, no, like literally, okay? Those people are going to let you down. Look at me as your pastor. Go ahead and stare at me. That's fine, because when I was in high school, this would have scared, I would have been like, okay, I'm done. Your pastor is going to let you down, okay? I am not perfect. These people are not perfect. Guess what? Here's a surprise. You're not perfect, so people are going to let you down, but you're going to let other people down. It's a fact of life. Let's acknowledge that, that when we're going through churches or we're going through life, that you don't seek the perfect church. You don't seek the perfect. Well, I just want to make sure that I just want the people in there to treat me well. Because the last church I was at, they treated me like dirt. And I get the sentiment. I do. Okay, have I ever been hurt by Christians? You better believe it. There have been moments in my Christian walk with God where I felt like leaving the church forever. It's the capital C. I'm not talking about any specific church. Okay? I want to be done because they hurt me. And I could have been bitter, but I learned from as, as a 17-year-old as a from my pastor who led me to the Lord. He said, when you don't seek restoration in that relationship, it doesn't hurt them. It hurts you. So don't walk around with bitterness. Don't walk around with that cancer in your soul because that pastor knew that I was hurting. He could see on my face. I wear my emotions on my face. I mean, I just do. I mean, people know, hey, something's wrong. And the reality is, if we don't seek restoration, it's only going to bring us down this rabbit hole of pain. And the way to get out of that hole that, that you're dug yourself over the years is very difficult one, the longer you've been in that hole. Now, when Christians let you down, because they will. People will let you down. Now, I want to look at a couple verses where Jesus is not the happiest. I like to think of Jesus, a lot of people think of Jesus as a Mr. Rogers type. He just smiles and sings. And I like Mr. Rogers, don't get me wrong. I grew up with Mr. Rogers. I, I would have Mr. Rogers as my grandfather. Um, it would be awesome. He'd be, he was a minister. I wish he was my pastor, you know. Um, but the reality is Jesus isn't always like Mr. Rogers. When these religious people who should have known better, they didn't live like they were supposed to. Jesus had nothing good to say about them. Remember, these are church people, okay? We, they wouldn't call themselves the church, but they were people who were leaders in the religious uh, groups. Matthew chapter 23. Matthew chapter 23, there's this, what theologians call the seven woes where he's saying, woe to you, Pharisees and religious teachers. Okay, the translation I say doesn't say woe to you, but I want you to think of the very first line. We'll, he's going to yell out, woe to you. He yells it so everybody in the whole area can hear. This was very well known. People heard this and went, wow, what is this guy's problem? So he's very upset. Beat red. Jesus goes in Matthew 23, verse 27. What sorrow awaits you or woe to you? Teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, these are leaders. These are God believers. They're not Christians. They're Jewish believers who believe in the law. They teach the law. They say, you need to trust God's law. We love God. 
He goes, what sorrow awaits you, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs. Beautiful on the outside. How many of you guys have ever gone to a beautiful cemetery and walked around? I used to work at a cemetery. I love it. But the fact is, sometimes, I, I, it's been a while, but we would just walk through the cemetery in Kamei. There's a lot of people that we can go, oh, I, yeah, yep, 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 yep. There's people, church people. And she'll know people from her when she was a child and, and uh, grandparents and stuff like that. And, uh, but I've been to some beautiful mausoleums, you know, when I was working at a cemetery in Sumner, and they're beautiful, and you keep them clean. You know, you go into the mausoleum, they open the door, and I vacuumed and washed the, the front of it and made sure everything looked beautiful. And, um, but then, as I was, only, I was in college, so I was thinking, as morbid as it seems, I was like, this is a beautiful building, but look what's inside. I thought about what's inside, and it's death and decay. The, that's the image that Jesus wants you to get when it comes to these religious people, he says, you're beautiful on the outside, but inside you're filled with dead people's bones and all sorts of impurity. In other words, you are putting on a wonderful show for people. People look up to you, oh Pharisee. People look up to you, but if you were to look at the heart, you're dead. Now, I, my intention is not to make you feel guilty, but I'm looking at, I'm looking at our hearts right now. Not the outward appearance, not what we would do to let people know how holy we are. Hey, I read my Bible this week. Tell me I'm good. And then you say, what translation did you read? The NIV, forget it, I don't want to hear about it. No, I say, hey, I read the Bible. You know, why did I tell you that? I read the Bible. I want you to know how holy I am. But for sure, I'm not going to you and go, I forgot to read my Bible yesterday. Because then you would judge me. No, you wouldn't. But, you know, you might judge me, so I wouldn't. But Jesus is saying you put a, you actually put on a good show, but inside you're far from God. Then he goes on. He says in verse 28, Outwardly you look like righteous people, but inwardly your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. Now, I'm sure you've heard the word hypocrite. How many of us, you don't have to raise your hand, how many of us have been called a hypocrite by someone? Probably your family. Yeah, how do I know that? Because they know you best. If you want to know about me, if you want to know the real Joel Bremer, ask my family. They'll tell you, right? Ask the people that know me best because they see me in the house when you're not there. They see me at my worst. Lynn, I don't really have a worst, do I? No, I don't. Thank you. Good answer. I owe you some ice cream or something. I owe you some ice cream. But the, the fact is we've all been called hypocrites, and the word hypocrite is found in the Bible 17 times. Jesus talked to hypocrites because he wanted to correct them because they claimed to be believers in God, but their lifestyle denied that. And studies show that the majority of people believe that Jesus was the very first person to use the word hypocrite in this context. The word hypocrite was around a lot longer before this, but it was, a, it was a Greek theater term. It was an actor, character actor. Okay, it was someone that you played a part and then they would, they would play a different part and you go, man, I don't know the real person. You know, there's certain actors that you don't know how they really are. They just, they, they, they might play Frankenstein or they might play Dracula and you go, that's not really who they are. When you meet them, all of a sudden you're like, that's not, they seem a little bit different. Well, of course, 
That's their character. And so the word hypocrite actually was a Greek um, theater term. Have you ever seen those picture of these masks before? That represents the theater. And if you've ever been in the theater, you know, you, you play a part. You play a role. And these masks represent someone in the Greek theater before Jesus' time even, where they would, they would have, there's a few people playing parts. And there was like, let's say, 17 parts in the play, and there's three people. So if you're in drama back then, if you're in the production, you've got to play more than one role. So what, what you do is, wait a minute, I know Eric. I know that guy. He's playing. No, you have to wear a mask to hide who you really are. So you put on, let's just pretend it wouldn't have this, but you put on a Frankenstein mask, the Frankenstein's monster, for those of us who are correctly, not Frankenstein himself, you know, Frankenstein's monster, right? Um, you, you go up and you start doing that production, and then you go, okay, that part's done. You run to the back, take off that mask, and you grab the other one. Now I'm Dracula. And then you go out and you go, and then you put it on, and now I'm the president or something like that. You know, you're playing different parts. You don't know who the real person is, in other words. You're playing different parts. That actor was called a hypocrite. That's what they were called. You didn't know who the real person was. They were playing a part. They, and I, I wrote this down yesterday. They, the, the other word I was thinking instead of hypocrite was character actor. They played a character. They played a role on TV. And that's what Jesus is saying about these religious people is when you're in the synagogue to these individuals, you're going up front and you're playing a part. You're, you're in a production. You're wearing a mask. And when people see you, they're seeing holy, righteous, just great. Man, you are a wonderful individual. Look up. But if you were to open up your chest and see the heart and see the thing, your spirit, you're dead. Now, I don't know about you, but that scares me a little bit. Because God cares infinitely more than, about your inside than he does about the production value that you bring to other people. Because every one of us who are alive and human, we've all kind of, I've gone to church and I'm like, this stupid people, hi, <laughs> I play a part. It's like, it's better than just being grumpy. But the reality is, what's going on in your heart? That's the most important thing to ask yourself. The word hypocrite is a scary word, but Jesus says, be real. And what does this have to do with what we talked at the beginning? Because at the very beginning, I talked about the fact that for some of us, we have bitterness in our heart, and we refuse to forgive people. There's something that, there's just this, that's the word that God really shared with me earlier this week, is that some of us are bitter. And you refuse, we, some of us, we refuse to forgive people who have hurt us. And the reality is, if we're seeking restoration, but we refuse to forgive them, how are they ever going to go back to in, in, God's, in a relationship with God when they look at you and they go, I don't want to be like that individual so hurt and bitter. They're bitter. And they refuse to seek restoration for me. And the reality is, maybe we use the word hypocrite. I would just say, let us be real with people. Let us seek God daily and say, God, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. And Lord, renew a right spirit within me. It's in the Bible. We read it. That's the, one of the worship songs, the choruses that we were saying earlier. But it's just a good prayer. We say, Lord, I'm hurting right now. I don't know if I can forgive that. 
Well, and you're right. You can't just forgive. You can't just throw it away. But you know, we know God can, and he can restore your heart. He can forgive the people through you where you are don't, you don't have that pain anymore. How do I know? Pastor, you're just making that up. No, that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. But no, that's my story. I have been pained. I have been hurt by believers who people that I looked up to. But you know what? God truly worked through my heart, and he can do it again. And he can do it with all of us. We don't have to be phony. We can seek restoration. See, why is it that people are wrong? Actually, look at this verse. Jesus, this is the scariest that Jesus was. Outside of making a whip and whipping people out of the temple, which is scary, he says something else about church people. He says, he says in uh, Matthew 23, verse 33, snakes. How many of you guys want Jesus to call you a snake? You know what snake represents in Genesis? Sons of vipers, how will you escape the judgment of hell? Oh, hold on. Hold on. Jesus, tell me how you really feel. Jesus goes, you know what? I don't like hypocrisy. I, he, Jesus cares so much about our heart, it's not even funny. He cares about the condition of your heart, and if we are, if we are, bitter in our heart, if we refuse to forgive people, we have a poison in our heart. And when you have a poison that's spreading in your life, guess what happens when you start talking to people? That poison spreads out your mouth onto other people. I don't want to be a poison to other people. I represent Jesus in this community, and I don't want to go out in the community and spread poison to people. I want to spread the life of God. I want to be life-giving, and I can't be, like, I can't be life-giving if I'm full of bitterness and hatred and, jud- and I'm judging everything. Oh, you're, I'm just holier than thou. I can't live a holy life with that kind of attitude. God wants to restore within us a right spirit, a holy spirit spirit, if you will. But how, these religious people, how in the world are you not going to go to hell? He's telling that, wow. Okay, he's not having a good day. If, it, if I were Jesus here, I'd have to leave that and take a walk, you know, count to 10 backwards or something like that. Just take a deep breath, Jesus. But this is showing us that he actually cares about your, the condition of your heart. He was saying, these people who are just brand new Christians, they're doing better than these religious people that should know better. You know why? Because I remember when I was first a Christian, I was hungry for God. I was hungry for God. I was hungry for his presence. I was seeking him. But over time, it's easy to not want that anymore. You just go through the motions. Why is it that people have hurt you? I want you to think about, I want to talk to those of us who have been hurt by Christians. And you're bitter right now. First of all, this is a no judgment zone. If you're here and you're bitter, I'm glad you're here. Okay? Verses like that might scare you. That's not my intention. My intention is for all of us, including myself, to allow Jesus to wake us up. But, and ask the question, why do people hurt us? Not even in my notes right now. I thought about something that me and my wife have talked about this for years. You, you, and I've talked with other people. You never know what the person that is hurting you, have, what they've gone through. You, you've never been in their shoes. So I try to imagine, and this is, this is, my human side does not do this naturally. But when someone hurts me, I go, obviously they've been hurt somewhere. And so God helped seek restoration in them. 
See, that would be the right way. That's not always how I react. That's the way that God wants us to react. Why do people hurt us? Number one is that some people in your life who claim Christ are not really Christians. You don't become a Christian by going to a church building. You don't become a Christian for just reading the Bible. We've all known people who have read the Bible. They even preached it. They taught it. But they didn't really believe what they were talking about. See, these people, are, they say they're Christians, but they're not born again. They're not born of the Spirit. They're Christians in name only. In fact, Titus 1.16, which I love using some of the scripture that we don't usually throw out there. I love Titus. Titus 1.16 says it plainly. You don't need an interpreter. It says this. It says, some people claim they know God, but, the way they, but they deny him by the way they live. How many of us need an interpreter for that? No, it's pretty clear. There are people who say they know God, but they deny him by the way that they live. I look at that and I go, okay, what am I going to do with that in my own life? I need to start saying, Lord, heal me. Restore me. Going to church doesn't make you a Christian. Following Jesus does. You're receiving Jesus. See, I want to be very clear. Someone's going to go, what? It's work-based. No, 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 no. Jesus paid the penalty for your sin, right? But my, the question is, how am I going to receive that? Am I going to say yes and then just live like the devil? No. I want to receive Jesus, the free gift of salvation, so that what? Like Colossians says, that, so that we can do the good works that God has called us to do long ago. I am saved by God's grace. It's not by works. You know what? We don't go to church and they go, okay, wait, I'm going to sit here for just a moment. Ah, I'm saved now. No, we're saved by saying yes to Jesus and I'm going to follow after him. You're not saved by believing that he actually exists. Demons believe that Jesus exists. Do you think demons are atheists? Mm -mm. Demons believe that Jesus is God. Doesn't mean they're going to heaven because they refuse to follow Christ. Number two, why do people let you down or hurt you? Because some people are Christians, but they're not mature. Have you ever met an unmature believer? You're like, yeah, they were like 40 years in the, in the church, and they're still immature. You're right. There are some immature believers, and to expect them to know right from wrong is like going up to when my kid was like two months old, and I'd say, Hayden, you made a mess in your crib. Now you go clean it up and you make that crib. You make the bed. When he was two months old, there's no way he could have done that. Until the one day he climbed out of the crib, fell to the floor and walked in. And I'm like, well, he changed. everything changed at that moment when he climbed out of the crib. We knew he could walk. We knew he could open the door. We knew that he could start cleaning things up. But before that, you can't expect an immature human to do what a mature human does like a two-month-old. Okay, are you done with that bottle? I want you to go clean it in the, in the, I want you to put it in the sink. No, we don't do that because they're immature. They're not ready for it. They need to learn how. And Joel, you're making this up. No, Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 5, verse 13. I like this one a lot. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 13 and 14. For someone who lives on milk is still an infant. This is talking about someone's condition of their heart. They're immature. They live on milk, 
and they don't know how to do what's right. Solid food, or your translations might say meat. Okay, solid food is for those who are mature, who through training, everybody say through training. Through training. These people, through training, they have the skill to recognize the difference between right and wrong. Why is it that some Christians will hurt you? Why is it that some Christians will harm you? Well, for one, we talked about it, they might be, say they're Christians, but they're not really Christians. So the church didn't hurt you. Someone that is a, is a hypocrite. Number two, it might be that they're immature. They're not there yet. They, they're, they're learning how to walk. It's like when Hayden walked around the, uh, we were so excited when he walked around now he knows how to run and do all that kind of stuff. He should. He's 17. But he, uh, the one time that he's going around the coffee table, and he's all like, he's, and we're like, I mean, we're taking out our video camera. We're like, this is awesome. Then he's starting to get into stuff. And we said, we have to lift that up. We got to close that door and put a little secret little hand so he can't open the door. But when he started walking and we took the coffee table away, he was like really, he was very uh, wobbly. And what do you do? Flop down on his diaper. Now, how did I respond as a dad? You get back up and you start walking. What's wrong with you? No, I did not. I said, come on. You got it. See, as a someone who's very immature as a human, and they start to learn how to walk, how are they going to walk? They're going to walk really wobbly. You don't yell at someone who is trying to walk, and they can't walk completely. You, you, you try to you train them. And then all of a sudden, Hayden starts walking and running around the house, and chaos started forever from that moment on. But anyway, you know, but for a while, it was like nice because we were celebrating, but he was very wobbly. Then we look at the Christians who, when it comes to right and wrong, they're very wobbly. They still, stu- they still say stuff out of their mouth that will hurt you. They still say things that offend you. Why is that? Because they're learning. They're training. How do they know? We need to help them. So if you're here and you have been hurt by the people, your pain is real, but you need to acknowledge that some people have hurt you. They were very immature in their faith. The third one is going to apply to all of us. Some, some are Christians and maturing, and they still mess up. June of this year, I'll be, I'll be married for 20 years. We, we will be married for 20 years. Sorry. We'll be married for 20 years. And believe it or not, I am the perfect husband after 20 years. No. Hayden will be 18 in September. My goodness. We're getting old. <laughs> Hold on, my back is just hurting right now. No. And he's been, he's been alive for 17 years. He's, I've known him since before he was born. He was, in, he was in Lydia's womb, right? And the moment she said, I'm pregnant, we're like, yeah, we're all excited. And I'm the perfect parent now because I have been a parent for 17 years. I know what I'm talking about. You want to know how to be a father or a husband, come to me. Wrong, don't come to me because I will fail from time to time. How many of us still fail from time to time? Not just in that kind of stuff. In your job? I've been, I've been at Pepsi for 12 years. Too long. 
too long. I got to sit down for a minute. No. And you better believe I got people watching my work and going to me and saying, you did wrong on that. You did wrong on that. You did. I have like five bosses that tell me how wrong I'm doing. Why is that? Because I'm going to mess up. Most of your, if you get a Pepsi product, most of those dates are going to be, they're going to be okay. Once in a while, I'll miss a bottle. Okay? Just saying. Just saying. I'm getting better. But you would think after years and years and years of practice, you would never screw up ever anymore. That's not possible. My, like I say this a long time ago. I make fun of my dad who's a master mechanic. He's driving a school bus across the country, and he fills up a diesel engine with gasoline. You don't do that. I'm not a master mechanic. I don't even, I know how to change a tire and change the oil. That's it. And he's a master mechanic. He went to school for it. He, he's, he's a mad, he knows. People are going to mess up, even if they call themselves an expert. Right? I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about Jesus right now. I'm just talking about your life. We, ex we expect that in real life, but when it comes to faith in Jesus, if you've been around the block with Jesus for 40 years, 50 years, Dwayne, you should know better. Where do we apply that anywhere else in life except for our faith in God to other people? The reality is we all mess up. And I want to say it again. These people in this church building, they will fail you. And you will fail them. We will fail each other. That's what that's called a family. And if every single time that I disagree with my wife, or every single time that we saw things differently, we would have been divorced a hundred thousand times. I may be exaggerating there. I, we may have been divorced twice. I've only disagreed with her twice. She's disagreed with me a hundred times, but no. But you know what I mean. I mean, I if I. If, if I, I could put that with anything. When it comes to family, what's a healthy family? It's a family that goes through ups and downs, and you work through the downs. You, you work through the valley moments together, and you fight together for your family, and you don't have to, everything doesn't always have to be perfect all the time. That's why some of us have been hurt in the church, and we're like, that's it, I'm getting my stuff, I'm packing, I'm out of here, and I'm finding the perfect church. The reality is, and I get the sentiment, there have been moments in my life with God for 30 years where I felt that way. That's not what a family does. A family works through ups and downs. And when it comes to people hurting you and people hurting me, we want to extend the same mercy and grace that God offers us, and we want to do that as we expect them to show that to us too. The best moments I've had in this church building is where we've had some, I'll talk as just a man with the other men in this church, where we've had times together where we just prayed together, sought God together, and just said, here's the reality, and they, they, they lifted us up. It's like it's like um, Moses with his arms being raised. He, he needed, Moses needed someone to raise his arms for him. He, he needed someone to raise his arms. And we've had that here. We, need, we can't lift up our arms and l carry the load forever. We need people to help us. And that's exactly what this is. There are some Christians who are maturing, yet they'll still mess up. 
Now, I want to move on to the, the psalm. What is he? God knows we are weak. This is Psalm 103, verse 14. God knows how weak we are. He remembers we are only dust. I want you to go to your. I want you to talk to your neighbor for just a second. I want you to say, "You're just a bag of dirt." You're just a bag of dirt. Okay. Bef- you came from dirt. Dirt I, I came from and dirt I will, be, I will go to. Soon, at some point, when I get buried, they put me in the cemetery probably over there, I'm going to become dirt. That's kind of a weird thought. But I won't be there. But my body will for sure. So when, what, is, what is this saying here? What is the psalmist saying? God understands that you are literally made from the dirt. You're clay. So what does that mean? You're going to have moments where you're weak. You're going to have moments where you fail. Jesus knows that we've all fallen short of God's standard. Now, there's a couple verses I want to read and we'll be done. I want to give you a perfect example of the early church where there was a, there was a, there was a hurt from church people to church people. And how did they respond? It's right in the Bible. I love it. Acts chapter 13. You guys know Paul? We mentioned Paul last week. What was Paul's name before he was saved? Where they go by? Saul. So we talked about him now, then. Now he's a Christian. Now he's a missionary. And he's bringing along with him a guy named Barnabas. I love Barnabas. I love Paul. Read the rest of them. We're not going to read that today because there was also a disagreement with the early church with them. That's not even this story. Okay? So. Acts chapter 13, verse 49 and 50. I love this. The word of the Lord spread through the whole region. That means things are going, it's good. Things are going great. But the Jewish leaders incited, they stirred up, they started trouble. Okay, these are church people. They're stirring up trouble. Who are they stirring up? The God-fearing women of high standing. So number one, who are they stirring up? These are God-fearing women. These are women who believe in God. When you say, if you, if you say it's an old-fashioned term, but you're a God-fearing person. I'm a God-fearing Christian. It means you really do believe it, right? I fear God. He's holy. He's righteous. I would live my life right, but they got confused. They got stirred up in some unholy business here. These Jewish leaders incited the God-fearing women of high standing. People looked up to them. And the leading men of the city, they... Who? These God-fearing women and the leading men of the city, they stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas, and they expelled them from the region, not just the church. Get out of my city. Get out of my county. You guys ever try to do something good for someone, and the only, the only thing that they bring back to you is bad? Like, oh, you're doing some good stuff? Get out of our region. Get out of the Clearwater Valley. Go to Lewiston. Now, don't go. That's too close. Go to Seattle. They need people like you. Go, go, go. So that's a legit problem. How did Paul respond? Well, they left their relationship with God. They never went to any church again. They left Christianity for good, and they were bitter the rest of their lives. Is that the story? No. No. See, they would have acted like that if they would focus on the bitterness, if they were to focus on the pain, the hurt. Hurt is real. Pain is real. But it's how we're going to respond to that. 
when pain comes our way, when people harm us, we, and I hate saying this because it's very hard, because I'm human, when someone hurts us, we are responsible for how we react. How many of us know that? Do you think that's easy? No. How do I react? <laughs> I've reacted poorly in the past when people have harmed me. But we know with our, in the deepest part of our heart when someone harms us, we're not responsible for what they did. We're responsible for how we're going to receive it and how we're moving on. That's what we are. We are responsible, and we know that, but we hate that because it's hard, and it is. You and I are responsible for how we respond, and Paul and Barnabas are great examples of how they responded. In fact, Paul and Barnabas refused to allow the sins of the people to keep them from the goodness of God. Acts chapter 13, the rest of it, verse 51, 52. So they shook the dust off their feet as a warning to them. This was, not a, this was a warning not of their bitterness. This was a warning about what God was going to do to them if they were not to repent. This is a very well-known thing to do. You would not, it's kind of like what my dog does after he goes to the bathroom. <laughs> but that's what people would do. They would kick the dirt from their feet physically to do that, to warn them. But then they went to Iconium, which is where another church group was, and the disciples were what? Filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Here's my good question before we move, before we close. Can you be full of bitterness and full of joy at the same time? That's a tough one. You're like, I'm going to be bold. I'm going to say no. I'm going to say no. You can't, when you're full of God's joy, you can't have bitterness. Why is it? Because cancer to your soul is called bitterness. It creeps into your heart and it goes to the rest of your body and it ultimately will come out your mouth and hurt other people. When you can't have joy and you can't have peace. So the only way that you, one, one of the only ways, one of the only ways that you can receive joy and you can be full of the Holy Spirit is to seek restoration with the people around you. Why is that? We demand, and I demand God re restore me. God, God, can you show me mercy? But we refuse to, re to show mercy to, other pe to some people. The people have really hurt us. We demand that God would restore us and make us, let's be okay, God. But now with that person, they hurt me too bad. And as we close in prayer, I want to be very clear about this message. I'm not minimizing your pain. It's real. But our job, my job and your job, is to seek restoration with God, through God, and to go make it right. Whether they receive it or not, that's not your problem. Your issue and your problem, my problem, is seeking God, help me, restore me, and then go and make it right. When it's up to you, it's when it, the part that you play that's your role. If they respond in a poor way, you don't need to kick your dirt in their face or anything. That's an old way of doing things. Just say, okay, I wash my hands of that. I'm done. Let's pray. God, help restore our lives. Help us to be
people of faith, but people like Jesus. Jesus, even people that were crucified, and you say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing, and that is challenging. You were able to seek restoration. I pray that each one of us would seek restoration. And it seems impossible, and I pray that none of us would walk out of this place thinking it's impossible because all things are possible with you, God. And when we seek restoration and we seek healing for our pain and where we're not, where our heart is hurting, I know that healing comes from Jesus. Healing comes when the Holy Spirit pours through us, and you can give us the Holy Spirit, and you can fill us with joy, just like you did in the early church right here. You did that with Paul and Barnabas. Why? Because they sought restoration. They didn't seek bitterness. They didn't live in bitterness. They simply walked away, and they went to what they could do, and they actually were restored to you, God. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Love you guys.